Thank you for joining us for the Ravenswood Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Dustin Moore. We are a Bible-believing, grace-driven church located on the north side of Chicago. As a church, we are passionate about making disciples of all people for the glory of God. If you would like more information about our ministry, visit ravenswoodbaptist.org. Now, here's Pastor Dustin. Well, this is our time together as as we have every Sunday to uh, go into God's Word as a church. Uh, I know uh, we have many guests today. Our church, the way we, we go into the Word is, is, truthfully, we just go next chapter, next verse. We've been going through the Gospel of Mark, and today being our 17th message in Mark's Gospel. And uh, I want to invite you to follow along in your Bible. You have a note sheet that was also given to you when you came in. If that's profitable for you, use it. Uh, if it's not, you're free to set it aside. But I'd like to start, if I may, by reading the first 20 verses, all right? We're going to read all 20, and uh, I'll read them rather quickly, and then we'll get into the message this morning. Uh, uh, a, a message that, if I can say it like this, if I was to preach this message next Sunday, it might come across differently than this Sunday. Uh, I wrote three different versions of this message because I'm very unsettled with what I'm going to say today. I uh, put on Facebook this morning, if you saw it, this is my, this is my heart. Uh, it gives you an idea of, of how I feel, why I feel the way I feel this morning. I woke up in the middle of the night with what I think was a nightmare uh, because I had dreamed that I was in church on Sunday morning, right here, speaking to you, and that at some point during the message I fell asleep speaking. And then woke up to realize it was 11.55 and I just said the last thing that was in my notes and we went home. And you all seem to appreciate that. Um, you might feel that way today uh, through the message because it's, this is, I think, one of the, the most important parables of Jesus, but also one of the toughest parables of Jesus uh, to understand. And so look with me at Mark chapter 4. I'm going to read the first 20 verses. Follow along with me as I read. And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land and he taught them many things by parables and sent unto them in his doctrine hearken behold there went out a sower to sow it came to pass as he sowed some fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth but when the sun was up it was scorched and because it had no root it withered away some fell upon thorns the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no fruit. Another fell on good ground, and it did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without... All these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? How, when, uh, how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on the stony ground, who, 
when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction and persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruits, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. In Mark's gospel, uh, by the way, if we can, Carl, uh, would you help get everybody, bring everybody in, please? Uh, let's empty out the lobby uh, before we get into the message. And we got plenty of seats. Uh, we can take people in. We got seats on the front row in every place. It's only in a Baptist church that the front row is the worst seat. And they're making their way in. We're going we're gonna to begin. In Mark's gospel, the purpose of the whole letter so far has been to show the audience that Jesus is ushering in a new day. He's bringing in His kingdom. Uh, he's the king, if you will, who is the suffering servant in Mark's writing. In, in Jesus' day, in the day that we're seeing witnessed here, the Jews were anticipating the kingdom. They were waiting for this moment. They were waiting for this kingdom to come. See, John the Baptist has already come. He'd already told them that he was the forerunner who was, who was, who was uh, preparing the way for the Messiah. And so the, the Jews were uh, watching Jesus perform these miracles, these healings, even casting out demons. The people had to be thinking in this time, that this must be it. This must be the Messiah. This is the guy. And so that brings about these large crowds. There's people intrigued. They're there witnessing Jesus' miracles. They're listening to Him teach. And we find these large crowds all through the Gospel accounts. In Mark 13, we see Jesus teaching. And there's a great multitude in verse 1 of Mark, Matthew 13. And Mark 4 in our text today, there's a, a, a large crowd so big that Jesus has to go into a ship to teach this great multitude. In Luke 8, we see there that there's a great multitude that gathers together in every city. And here Jesus is, at, as the backdrop of our text, He is about to teach from this ship, sitting in the Sea of Galilee, the hills, the hills of, the, of the region of Galilee are all around as a natural amphitheater, pro helping uh, promote his voice as he teaches this massive crowd. But the truth is, when Jesus taught, as much as the crowd was anticipating the messianic kingdom and the, this possible Messiah, we know from several accounts in the Gospels that the people were very unsettled by what Jesus taught. In fact, in John chapter 6, Many therefore, verse 60 says, many therefore of his disciples when they had heard this said, this is in hard saying, who can hear it? And so the teaching of Jesus was difficult for people then. It's difficult for people now. The parable that's in front of us is a hard saying, if you will. It's a difficult parable. But it was it was the beginning in Mark's letter of putting together some teachings. Mark's letter doesn't have a lot of the teaching texts of Jesus. 
And so one of these, in, this, in chapter 4, we get what we will call kingdom parables. They're Jesus talking about how the message of the kingdom is going to go out and how the message of the kingdom is going to be received or not received because he is the king who is bringing in the kingdom. And the parable that is in front of us is a, a, a parable of pedology. I'm sure the majority of you have no idea what pedology is. And I don't think we have any pedologists in our church today, but the pedology is the study of soil. Who knew that people spent their life studying dirt and soil? But this is a, this is a, a, a parable about soil. And the people in Jesus' day would have had a pretty good framework for it because of the agricultural, um, economic uh, way of living in that day. They understood what Jesus was saying. Most of us are not really studying much of the soil in Chicago nowadays. And so in our urbanized lifestyle, we don't really grasp farming like they did in this day. But here Jesus is giving a parable about soil, about pedology that was to help them to understand how the message of the kingdom would be heard. And so the focus here, there's, there's a few actually, there's a few specific themes. The, 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 the major theme is this is a, a parable about soil. It's also a message about hearing. But hear me very carefully. It's ultimately a message about fruit bearing. You'll see that. When we study God's words, we're looking for repeated words in texts. This is a message about fruit. Spiritual fruit. So I want you to notice there in verse, the, the, the theme of hearing, look in verse 3 of chapter 4. If you keep your Bible open or your, your handout open, verse 3, the very first words Jesus said is this word, hearken, hear, listen. I have to, I got a little kick out of that this week. The word I have said the most as a dad I must confess on Father's Day to my kids is, listen. Are any dads with me on this? Are you listening? Which the answer is no, they're not. Hearken, Jesus says. Hearken, listen. In verse 9, he says these words, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus isn't talking about whether you have physical ears. He's talking about whether you have spiritual ears to hear. Are you listening? In fact, this is a phrase most quoted by Jesus about hearing. And I just want to stop here and just say to our church on this Sunday morning, I want to encourage us, all of us, myself, you, all of us individually, to be a church that prioritizes hearing the word. Listening to the word. You did not come today. You never come on a Sunday to hear me. I'm an instrument to tell you the word. Sometimes I may say it well. Sometimes I might mess it all up. I'm a, I'm a broken uh, speaker for God, but I am just a mouthpiece for the word. Hear it and hear it and hear it. And so we consider this parable. Before we get into the parable, though, I want to quickly remind you about the reason Jesus told parables. The reason for parables. We'll see another one next, not next Sunday, but two weeks from now, we'll see another parable, but 
these parables. I'll explain more in my introduction to the next message. But in verse 2, he taught them many things by parables and sent unto them his doctrine. Doctrine is a word for teaching. He is, he is, te- he is telling things to them and giving his doctrine by parable. Verse 10, And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of him the parable. They were trying to understand what was the purpose of parables in Matthew 13. The disciples had come to him and they asked him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? And the answer is surprising, actually. It's a, it's a really startling reply in Mark, Mark 4. Why did Jesus use parables? Look at verse 11. He tells us, And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, outside, all things, all these things are done in parables. That seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said to them, know ye not this parable. They, they're, they're asking, why are you talking in parables? And Jesus tells them that the parables of Jesus revealed truth and hid truth. In other words, those whose hearts were not fixed on learning from Jesus, they would hear the parables and they would think them silly. Those that were not interested in the message of Jesus saw the parables as silly. They would dismiss them. But the ones whose hearts were filled with faith, the ones who were longing for the words of Jesus, they were hearing with a desire to truly hear those same individuals would submit to the spiritual lessons. And the whole point of this is, listen, I don't want to confound this too much for you. Where there is genuine faith, the parables led people to understand. But where there was no faith, where there was no genuine faith in Christ, the parables only led to confusion. Those who come to Jesus in faith, they get it. They understand it. Those who dismiss Jesus and reject Jesus, the more they speculate and dismiss, the worse, their, their spiritual condition grows worse as their hearts harden toward Him. That's the point Jesus is giving here. We'll say more about that in the coming weeks. But I want to jump into the parable, and I've broken this parable down. We're going to bounce from the, the parable, which is, given in the first eight verses, and then the explanation, which starts in verse 14. And so we're going to bounce between the parable and the explanation of the parable. Look with me at verse 3 again. Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. It came to pass as he sowed. Some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it. Verse 14, the sower soweth the word. So the first part of this is I want you to see the seed. The seed. Now, you got to understand, in Israel, you and I have a very um, Western understanding of, of, of fields and farming. In, in Israel, the fields that were farmed were narrow strips marked off and surrounded by paths. The paths were for walking. There were no fences or necessarily hedges used to, to uh, create a divide. And so what would happen is uh, the sower, who we'll come to in a moment, the sower would would come with, with seed. He would have it in a, a bag on his side. If you 
Some of you that have been around a long time, I, was, I used to be a newspaper carrier. The best thing I could think about is one of those satchels that a, that a paper carrier would carry with newspapers in it. And the, the sower would grab that seed and he would, he would cast it in, in this broad casting method. He would take a handful of seed at a time and he would cast it over a wide area. He would cast it, if you will, in a very indiscriminate way. In most cases, it probably was... Uh, the, 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 the attempt to cover a large area of ground by scattering evenly. The goal was to cover the whole field as he cast the seed with no margins on the perimeter left unseeded. And so he would cover the whole field. And, and you know how it is if you have a lawn and, and you, you might have some sidewalk. The, the, the tendency might be to, to, to put seed out but to miss the, peri- the perimeter portions. So there was truly no way to cast seed by hand like that at the edges of the field without some of the seed inevitably crossing crossing the field boundaries. Now, when Jesus speaks of this seed, verse 14 gives us an indication, tells us actually very clearly, what the, what the seed is in the parable. In verse 14, he says, the sower soweth. He doesn't say the seed. He says the word. The sower soweth the word. The clear point is in the, the parable, this kingdom parable, that the seed that is represented in this parable is the word of God. Now, right now, as you're sitting here listening, whether you realize it or not, the seed of God's word is being sown in the soil of your heart. The seed of God's word is being sown in the soil of your heart. 1 Peter 1 tells us that we are born again not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, by the word of God. And God says about his word that it liveth and abideth forever. So the seed, the word of God that is being sown in your heart right now is the living, the forever abiding word of God. It's, it's, it's alive, as we know. The word of God is quick and it's powerful. It's a, it's a living word. It, has, it is a living seed, a life-changing seed. It is a fruit-producing seed because God's word, the seed, is alive. It's incorruptible. Now you got to understand in this text, as Jesus tells the parable, there is no default. There is no mess up. There is no um, uh, error with the seed. You need to log that for a moment. The problem in the parable is not with the seed. Can I just say this? There is no problem today with God's Word. It's not an error. It's not outdated. It's not antiquated. It's not out of touch. The problem is never with the seed. I want you to see next. I want you to see... By the way, by the way, let me just stop and just say, as the sower was indiscriminately casting out the seed on his field... So we are to indiscriminately cast the word. We're to give the word. We're to say the word. We're to preach the word. We're to tell the word. We're to 
to put it out there. We're not to worry about how well it grows. We're not to be worried about whether it produces fruit. My job and your job is just to say the word. I want you to see thirdly here, we saw the the stories, we saw the seed, we see the sower. I'm trying to hurry. Look at verse 3 again. There went out a sower to sow. Verse 14 again, the sower soweth the word. And so there's a, a sower in the text. There's a person, if you will, that sower is a farmer. He's casting out, he's, he's putting out the seed. There's, there's a way in which you and I sow God's word. And my job today as a sower is to, is to cast out God's word to you. It's to declare it. We, we do so by preaching the word, by teaching the word, by having a family devotion. We do so by, by telling, if you will, the stories of scripture, the biblical stories is a way in which we cast out seed. We, we tell seed, we, we, we proclaim the seed and we cast out the seed by sharing our testimony, by telling others how we came to faith in Jesus Christ, how we came to an awareness of God being true and real and his word being living and abiding. We tell the seed of God's word. We are to be You and I are to be faithful sowers, but there's, in this text, it's important that you understand that the main sower here is the one who's announcing the kingdom. There is application to you and I that we are also sowers as we labor together with Christ. But in the parable, there's a proclamation that the kingdom is coming, and there's a message going out from the sower who is Jesus. He's the first sower. And so we would, as much as we walked back a moment ago and said there's no problem with the seed, there's no problem with the word, we can all agree, I think, today that there's no problem with the sower either. There's no problem with the sower. Now, as I stand here today, and I joked about this a few moments ago, I'm a faulty sower. I can absolutely come to church on Sunday and I could have labored and labored and labored in a text. I can give it the best I can and I can walk out and you can walk out and say, I totally disagree with you. And if you said that to me, I'd say, I am, I am absolutely, it's possible that I'm wrong about everything I said. But we know that Jesus didn't say anything wrongly. And we know Jesus, there's no problem with him. I might not tell the word the way I ought to tell it. You may not tell the word you ought, the way you ought to tell it. But in this text, there is no problem with the seed. There's no problem with the sower. Can I just say, let me just stop here and say, oftentimes I have had in seven years, people say to me, why do we just go through chapters of the Bible and verses? Because I know how faulty I am. I know how sinful I am. I know how prone to make mistakes I am. I know that I can be selfish. I know that in church, the best thing for me to do is just to tell you what God's word says and let God's spirit make it come alive in your life. So we're just a church that's about the word. But the point of the parable is not first about the seed or the sower but brings us to the ultimate point, and that is the soil. Oftentimes this parable is called the parable of the sower. No, I actually think it's the parable of the soil. Because the point here is about the soil. A couple things I think are important to note. 
before we get into the soil, the sower is not taking soil samples before he sows. The, the, the sower never gets down on the ground in the parable and examines the soil. He simply puts out the seed. I got to ask you before we get into these, these soils here, I'm going to ask you an honest question. You got to answer this honestly in your heart today. When the seed of God's word falls on the soil of your heart, what does that soil look like? When you receive God's word, whether it's in church, whether it's in the quiet moments of your own home, whether it's on your, on your way to work, listening on your phone to a message, when the soil of God's word comes to you, what kind of soil does it come onto? Does it fall on? That's, the, that's a big question to ask before we look at these four soils. So let's look at them quickly. First off, there's a soil. It's called the wayside. Look at verse 4 again. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Now, stop right there. The, this speaks of that footpath that I told you that edged the field. And remember, he's indiscriminately casting this the seed. And to make sure he got all the seed on the edges, inevitably seed would go onto the wayside, to the to the to the path that was surrounding the field. That path was unplowed. Because of the heat and the nature of that climate, those unplowed footpaths were footpaths would have been hardened like concrete. As the seed was sown, some of that seed would land on that wayside, and that footpath was hard as a rock. It would be the equivalent, if you will, in a way of me casting grass seed out in my house and some going on to the, to the sidewalk, and you know that no seed is going to grow from that sidewalk, right? There was no hope from the, the sower that it was going to penetrate the earth. It would lie there. It would be trampled by foot. And Jesus tells us in verse 15 that the fowls of the air came and devoured up that seed. Look at verse 15. And these are they by the wayside when the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. Now, I talked to you a moment ago and said, let's be good hearers, but everybody could, everybody could come to church and be a good hearer. But here, the, the illustration that Jesus is giving, the picture is birds that are very intelligent creatures it's amazing, right? I put grass seed out before I left on vacation, and within a matter of an hour, the birds knew that I put out grass seed. They're very clever creatures. In this point, in this point that Jesus is making about this soil, the wayside soil, the hardened, like concrete ground, it is the picture of hearing the truth but that truth falls on a hard heart. And the hard heart resists the truth. And so those that are represented in the wayside, they come to a church service maybe once, maybe weekly. Maybe they hear a message online. They, 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 somebody sends them a sermon. They hear it and their hearts are so hardened that they reject it and remain, they, they remain enslaved to the darkness. And what has happened is Satan has come and has taken away the word. 
He does that through a various, various means. But the word is heard, but hard hearts, hard hearts means the word takes no root in its life. And I asked you, and I'll keep asking you, when you hear the word of God, what's the condition of your heart? Some fell by the wayside. It's snatched up and taken away. There's no fruit that comes from that. Remember, we're talking about fruit. There's no fruit because the heart is hardened. Jesus is saying, when I proclaim the message of the kingdom, some will hear it, but their hearts are hardened and they won't receive it. There's no problem with the seed. There's no problem with the sower, but some fell by the wayside. Can I just ask you this morning, has your heart become hardened to the truth of God's Word? Do you hear it and find it silly? Every moment, every moment of a church service like this, every moment of a message matters. It matters because God's Word matters supremely. I ask you, does your heart become hardened? The second soil that's given is the stony ground. And some, verse 5, some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. This is stony ground. Now let me just be clear with you. Stony ground is not like the wayside. Stony ground is not the stone of pavement per se. Let me explain to you what stony ground was. In Israel, by the way, if you went to Israel today, if you went to Israel today, people will buy, uh, um, they'll buy a plot of land to build. And they'll begin to dig down and they'll find, because in Jerusalem specifically, Jerusalem is a city that is built upon city after city after city because everybody who came in knocked it down and built another city on top. And so when you buy land in Israel today, if you, if you, if you dig down to, to, to pour concrete and you come to some kind of rock, some kind of artifact, some kind of soil that, that, that gives indication that some kind of building was there before, immediately you have to stop digging and that becomes property of the country, the state. In this moment here, the farmer would plow the land to prepare it, but he would not be able to plow deep enough to realize that underneath the soil that seemed to be good was a bunch of hardened rock. It was a bunch of uh, um, stony, to use the, the language here, stony ground underneath the soil that looked good. And it would frustrate a farmer because the seed would germinate, but as soon as it would grow, as soon as, the, as it would grow, it would wither away from a lack of sufficient water because of the rock underneath it. And that seed, that fruit would be scorched because it had no root because of the rock bed that was ultimately underneath it. That farmer had worked and worked and worked only to lose crops because a portion of the field had an issue that the farmer could not see. But he realized right away in the way in which the crop would grow, that it lacked an adequate root system. It grew too fast. And any of you that have ever, have ever grown plants or, or done some kind of garden, you understand that, that slow and steady wins the race when it comes to gardening. 
And in that moment, the, the fruit would spring up so quickly, the, guard, the, the, the farmer knew there's a problem here. And Jesus in verse 16, notice what he says. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure for a, but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution arises, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. This is similar to the wayside, but it's obvious, but it's not as obvious at first. Immediately the person hears the word of Jesus, the message of the kingdom. They hear the gospel. They're glad to receive it, Jesus says. They immediately receive it with gladness, but they don't count the cost. They look good. They look like they have come to Christ, but there is no root, and the stony ground ends up revealing that they, they they have truly not come to faith because they heard the word when hardship come to, in their life, when, when persecution arises, when, when difficulty, affliction comes, they wither away. Jesus gives us a warning. He gives us a warning in this one right here. The dangers of, of seeing a Christian who is so happy, so ecstatic, so there. And they're there for a few weeks, they're there for a few years, and then they're gone. It's the stony ground. What happened? What happened? There was no root. And therefore, there was no fruit. Thirdly, there's thorns. Look at verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and yielded no fruit. Look at verse 18, the explanation. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things, entering and choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. The word used here for thorns is the same word that's used to describe the crown of thorns that was put on Jesus' head. But the issue, the, it's, not like, it's not necessarily thinking of a thorn, but more like a thorn bush. Like a thorny, like a briar shrub with a thorny leaf. These kinds of thorns would take over the field and choke out everything else. I'll tell you, maybe something a little bit humorous, and maybe you think I'm selfish for it. I, I love doing yard work. My daughter uh, Lexi likes doing yard work with her. We affectionately call her Landscaper Lex because she likes landscaping. If you ever need yard work, she's your person. Our neighbors every spring have a significant amount of weeds that grow. And they were growing and their weeds were starting to come over into my yard. And I said to Lexi one day, I said, I know that the Bible tells me to love my neighbor. And so I'm going to love my neighbor and I'm going to start cutting their grass. We've got some elderly ladies that live on the north side of our house and we've got a sweet Christian couple that's, that's uh, empty nesters that live on the south side of our house. And so I went to that couple and I said, hey, we'd love to help you guys mow your grass. And he was so kind. He said, oh, I'd love, that'd be great. Appreciate it. And I never said anything to the ladies. I just started mowing their grass. Every week I just would mow their grass because I don't want their weeds coming into my grass, right? And now it's to the point now where we just, this happened several years ago. Now I just started mowing because I want to encourage them and I know they appreciate it and we love doing it. But it started by the selfishness of a Christian pastor who understood that as beautiful as dandelions can be, 
I don't want them in my yard. And crabgrass, I don't want it in my yard. Because I know that it chokes out the grass. It kills it. By the middle of July, 80, 90, 100 degree weather, the grass begins to turn brown. And crabgrass is found everywhere. You can relate that a little bit to what Jesus says about these thorny bushes that would come into the field and they would take over and they would choke out the fruit. And so the fruit was gone. Literally, the last words there in verse 18 says, and it becometh unfruitful. Jesus gives us in this passage an indication about what this fruit, about what these thorns pictured. Now I caution the Christian in here. I want you to see the direct words of Jesus when he says, the cares of this world, he doesn't mean the cares like caring for your family or providing for your children. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about living in a way that's trying to keep up with everything that the world cares about. He's saying if you live with that in mind, you need to understand that there's a, there's a, there, there's a, a possibility here. There's a, you're going to be prone to choke out the word, the word that I give on a Sunday morning. It won't matter because you, so many other things matter more. Not only the cares of this world, he says, the deceitfulness of riches. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? We know there's nothing sinful. We know money's not sinful. We know it's not a sin to be rich. But there's a deceitfulness that comes with pursuing riches. Because you think you found satisfaction, but the pursuit of riches only leads to more pursuit of riches. So living consumed with possessions chokes out the word because you can't serve God and mammon. You can't. The proverb says it like this. I've said it to my kids many times. Labor not to be rich. It's a dangerous pursuit. In the life of the Christian, it chokes out the fruitfulness of God's word. Be careful, friends. Be careful about waking up tomorrow to make a dollar. The last thing he says there is the lusts of other things. Sinful, forbidden desires choke the word. Sinful, forbidden desires, impure, lustful living chokes out the word and it becomes unfruitful. Now, the last ground given there, I want you to see in verse 8, and other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100. Look at verse 20. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 64, some 60, and some 100. This soil, this good ground is clean, freshly plowed, free of weeds, and there is room for the crop to, the crop to grow and flourish. Don't miss this. Listen, there is room for it to grow and flourish. Don't lose sight of that. Away from birds, without any thorns to choke it out. In every sense, the good soil is prepared soil. 
And Jesus speaks about this harvest. 30-fold, 60, some hundred for time. I'm not going to get into it. But it does not speak of a number of seeds, but the expression speaks of the return of the farmer. It speaks, if you will, uh, it speaks of a healthy, fruitful return from the crop and the seed. A, a tenfold return would be a healthy return where the farmer could pay his bills, could feed his family. But a 30 and 60 fold and a hundred fold, that would be a staggering profit. It means the fruit would be staggering in, 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 in its production and what it provides. Now stay with me because I'm going to land the plane rather quickly today on this. The question still in front of each of us is this. When the word comes to you, what kind of ground, what kind of soil does it fall on? You can sit here every Sunday. You can listen. You can, you can labor with me in the word. But every one of us, every one of us needs to be sure that we're checking the soil of our heart. I say to you, parents, it is the role of a parent to be asking questions of your child to check the health of the soil. The health of the soil. In Jesus' day, as he's announcing the kingdom and he's preaching the message of the kingdom, he tells those that are listening, you need to understand that as I cast the word, there's no problem with the sower. There's no problem with the seed. But it's going to fall on four types, four types of soil. I would argue to you, and I would present to you, that it's no different today. The, the, the classic question that comes from a passage like this is how many of these soils represent the unregenerate, unsaved heart? Are, all, are the first three all unsaved? There's no fruit? Is the last one the only soil that represents a believer? And there's a lot of good discussion about that. Let me just say to you again, it is not my job to analyze whether or not your heart is ready for the word. That's between you and the Lord. I don't know who sits here and who's a believer and who's not a believer sometimes. It's not my job to check your faith. That's between you and the Lord. But what Scripture does call us to is to ask the question, what is the condition of the soil? Let's consider this in conclusion. I want you to think with me. Please don't dismiss what I'm going to ask. What have you done this week to prepare the soil of your heart to receive the message of Jesus? I want to give you a life hack for the Christian life. Are you ready? If you want to come to church with good soil, you want your heart to be ready to receive. Listen, please. If you want your heart to be ready to receive, don't make this the only time that you worked on the soil. Don't make this the only time that you worked on the soil. 
There should be a hunger in our heart by the time we get to worship service on Sunday morning. There should be a hunger to be here because we've been working on that soil all week. We've been spending time with the Lord all week. We've not just been blowing through a Bible reading plan, but we've been working, laboring with the perfect seed, with the perfect sower to make sure that our heart is ready when we get to the service on Sunday, that the heart is that, that, that the soil is good ground. It's ready to, to be planted more. It's ready to grow and to grow and to grow. And so that's the question is, what have you done this week? And if you're how many times have we sat here and we've we've heard the word, I preached the word, and we left unchanged. And my question to you is, is, is it because we didn't work? on the soil all week? What have you done this week to prepare for this moment? By the way, if you've worked on the soil all week, you're less likely to skip church. You're less likely to skip church because you worked on the soil and you're ready to be here. As ready as I am to preach, you're ready to hear. We're ready to be in the service because we've been working on that soil all week. All week. Number two. This is the tension of Scripture. It is the Word and the Holy Spirit that both prepares the heart and makes the seed fruitful. You say, how do I work on the, so on the soil? By the Word. By being in the Word and being in the Word and being in the Word and having the Word to be the center of your life and your family, and your marriage, and your parenting, and the way you work, the way you see money, the way you view everything in this life, the way you view your own body, informed by the Word. The Spirit works with the Word. Prepares the heart. The Spirit prepares the heart for the Word, and it makes the seed fruitful in our life. Lastly, number three, gospel fruit requires receptive hearts. That's not original with me. I don't remember where I got that or where I heard it, but I wrote it down somewhere and, I, and, I, and I, I've implemented it today. It's not my quote, though. Gospel fruit requires receptive hearts. And so I ask you, is your life experiencing gospel fruit? And this, this, this becomes the hard part for us to hear as we close because we can analyze our life, and a lot of times when we analyze our life, it leads us to condemnation. But that's not where the Christian should ever stop. But when I'm honest about something, when I look at my life and I say, the problem today is not the Bible. The problem today is not the gospel. The problem today is not the Lord Jesus. The problem is not the Holy Spirit. Then the problem must be with the soil of my heart. And I have to ask questions. The deceitfulness of riches? The lust of this world? The cares of this world? What has I allowed in the field that is choking out the fruitfulness of the word? Is my heart just hardened? Because of life, grief, hurt, pain, experience what is the reason there's no fruit and that's the theme of the text i argue this with people before the theme of the text is actually not salvation first and foremost it's about the fruit of the kingdom 
Jesus came to grow fruit in the life of his followers. He saves us and he grows us. And so you have to ask the question today, is there gospel fruit in my life? Is my life looking more like Christ? Am I seeing represented by the Apostle Paul the fruit of the Spirit in my life? Am I seeing it? Do others see it? Is it a testimony? What's the soil of your heart? What's the ground like? Wayside? Stony ground? Thorns? Or good ground? Maybe you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. The message of the gospel being given is the way in which you receive and enter into the kingdom. I want to ask you this morning, do you know Christ as your Savior? If I went further and I said, and if you answered, yes, I know Him as my Savior, the question becomes, on what hope do you make that claim? On what hope? What, what makes you a child of God? Is it you being here today? Was it a, a, a baptistry? Was it a sprinkling? Was it a, was it a life of trying to live good, good works? What, on what hope do you place that confidence? The Christian gospel is simple. The only hope for eternal life in heaven, the only hope for salvation is that Jesus Christ died for my sins, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, proving that he is God. Your hope today is not in a prayer. Your hope today is not in a preacher. Your hope today is in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, do you know Christ as your Savior? Can you take us to a moment when you said yes to Jesus? Can you take us to a moment when you said yes to Jesus? If you can, how wonderful that is. What's the ground of your heart? If you can't today, in just a moment, when we dismiss, we'll have a deacon down front, we'll have a pastor down front who are both willing to take God's word and to show you how you can know Christ as your Savior. And if you don't know Him, please don't leave today without knowing that you know Him. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at ravenswoodbaptist.org. If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media ministry and outreach ministry of Ravenswood, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Chicago and around the world.